When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, beautiful friends. Happy Monday. I hope you guys are so well. Uh, I took a week off. I was in Jamaica, man. I had a beautiful vacation. Surprised my wife uh, for her birthday. It's kind of fun. I uh, booked a vacation, didn't tell her anything about it, kept it secret, and I told her we were going. And she didn't know where we were going until our layover in Atlanta with our son. So that was fun. So we kind of searched around the uh, airport, and I had to make her guess until it was time to board. So that was fun. Anyway, took a week off. I appreciate you guys. Number one dog training podcast in the United States. And we're also loved very much so in the UK, Canada, and in Australia. So I appreciate you guys so much for listening. I really do. Um, no Bad Dog Army is growing and continuing to grow a safe, uh, empowering community. Uh, this is a great podcast with an individual um, that is really struggling with a dog, but this is this is dog training, but it's more people training, as you guys know. Um, but this is a very psychological hardship for the owner. She's having a really hard time to grasp the reality of what's happening. Uh, something you guys probably deal with uh, all the time with other people, just being irresponsible, not being able to bring your trained dog to places. Uh, it's kind of emotional for her, you could tell, um, but. It's a wonderful podcast. Um, so there's a lot of good dog training, but also, more importantly, it's there's a lot of emotional, um, I guess, road mapping that I do with her, um, and just explaining the realities of the world that we live in with our dogs. So I think it's great. I think you guys are going to love it. Uh, speaking of Canada, we're coming to Canada next month uh, in Calgary and Toronto. Uh, I think Toronto's working spots are sold out and Calgary has like one left. If you guys want to come bring your dog uh, to train, sign up. The link is in the description below. Uh, there's unlimited audits. So if you guys want to come and watch, it's perfect for anybody that wants to learn more about behavior. Uh, you get a Q&A opportunity with me um, and you just get to watch us train dogs. So it's a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of information that goes into it. So we're excited to come up. Uh, our no bad dog coffee is also in the link below. And, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about before this podcast starts about dog training is it was an interesting concept I had the other day with, uh, actually one of my staff who kind of helps me with my social media. She kind of runs some of the social media that we do. And one of the statements that I made on, uh, I think TikTok is where she posted it, was about compulsion training. And she's going to kill me for talking about it again because she said I never can talk about it again. Apparently, uh, I put this, uh, I recorded this session with this person and she was talking, I can't remember how it came up, but she was talking about the types of training and she mentioned compulsion, I believe the context was. But regardless, um, I'm a big like seeing through the, 
the air, like seen through the grass, if you will, of like what things actually mean. Now, compulsion, especially in the dog training space, has been this very never be this or never do this word. Like it's a bad word. Almost like punishment was a couple of years ago. Now it's like, oh, punishment equals success for dogs typically and sometimes and usually. <laughs> but compulsion, I, I just was saying in this thing that I was using compulsion ethically because I wanted to highlight and bring out the reality of what compulsion is. Because for some reason, again, I think mostly by professionals in the industry, they gatekeep what words mean to them and that's what it means to everybody. And by definition, Compulsion is the action or state of forcing or being forced to do something or constraint. Uh, And the second definition under the dictionary is an irresistible urge to behave in a certain way, especially against one's conscious wishes. So if if your dog sees a squirrel and you tell them that they can't run, or simply if you put a leash on a dog and there's any pressure on that leash at all, ever, it's compulsion by definition. The action or state of forcing or being forced to do something or constraint against what you want to do. And so uh, this individual, this dog owner had asked me, like, is this compulsion or whatever? And I simply explained to her because I'm really like, I try to, again, advocate and educate. That's my whole thing. I'm not in the dog business. I'm in the people business. I want to help people with their dogs. Dogs are easy. And I was explaining to her through an educational way. I said, look, compulsion by definition, if we look at it is basically telling anybody or anything that they can't do something even if they want to do it. That's the definition of compulsion. And so I don't understand the context of why some dog trainers in the industry blacklist anybody that says compulsion or uses compulsion because we all use compulsion. If you have a leash on a dog and they want to go one way and you tell them they can't, you're using compulsion by definition. Now, I think because there, it's like the e-collar. Here's, and here's my opinion. This is why I love podcasts. I can get granule on this. And this is big for dog owners and dog trainers. Like, I think the e-collar is one of those things to say, oh, you use an e-collar, then you correct a dog unfairly against their will and never allow them to do anything. And it's strictly punitive and it's stressful and they hate it. Or you can look at somebody else like myself and many other professionals in the industry that use the e-collar to teach dogs behaviors behaviors wirelessly and give them a beautiful off-leash life with their owners. And it means the world to them and they love it. And when they see it, dopamine runs to their system because they know they're going to go do something fun off-leash. It's also a safety protocol to get your dog back so they don't end up under a car. So there's two different spectrums of things. And I think it just depends on how things picture you. But um, what was really interesting and almost frightening to me is my staff uh, who handles my social media because obviously I post things everywhere every day all the time. I can't do it all. They were saying like, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't do that. People, you know, really tried to hurt you on that, which is fine. I mean, the internet's just the internet. I don't make videos or educational stuff for people who don't want to listen or learn. I make it for people who are struggling, like dog owners like yourself. But that's just a, it was just a really weird thing. And I wanted to define uh, the compulsion because I said it again in a recent video and I'm like, that, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of using that. That's what it is. Telling something they can't do something is compulsion by definition. And so I talked about, more importantly, I talked about ethical compulsion and unethical compulsion. And I said I was using ethical compulsion, which gave me a platform to say, what is unethical compulsion? And I would say unethical compulsion, in my opinion, is downing a dog um, 
uh, when there's squirrels and birds and other dogs running around them, right? So we're forcing a dog to do something that's unfairly against their will. It's not fair to have them jump through hoops and fire when all this stuff is going on. And I was talking about ethical compulsion where I was recalling a dog away from another dog because they were going to react. So I was, it had nothing to do at that point with punishment specifically in targeting. All it was, was the definition of compulsion is I was like, this dog can't get to this other dog because they're going to react negatively. And that's an ethical way to use compulsion. Now, an unethical way to use compulsion under that context would be downing that dog that is reactive and aggressive towards other dogs, and then having the dog that they were going to go after circle them, and I'm forcing them into a down, and they can't move. So that so I just wanted to say that on this platform of podcasting, because like I said, it was kind of disheartening to, to hear my own staff say, like, you can't talk about that anymore because it, it wreaked havoc on whatever. And I was like, that's crazy. And I was really upset by that because, like I said, people, the internet's a scary place, which is why I, you know, really focus on YouTube and uh, in podcasting uh, because it's just a better place uh, to gain your knowledge because you're watching me and listening to me in long form content. So you understand context. It's not a four second, 60 second video on a reel or a TikTok. There's context. You guys understand the full training process and you, you're, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there on this podcast. If anybody ever wanted to refer or reference compulsion, uh, especially for any other person in the space of definition of what it means and, you know, or, or at least when I, so when I talked about compulsion, I literally did the dictionary of compulsion. I looked at a couple of definitions and it all was just saying the action or state of forcing or being forced, um, or constraint. Now, again, dog wants to chase a ball. You say, no, by definition, that's compulsion. So I just wanted to give context on that in the future. At the end of this podcast, I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. If you guys are listening to this on Spotify, do us a solid favor, leave us a review. On Apple iTunes, we are almost at a thousand reviews. Let's get there, guys. Help me out. Get to a thousand. We're at eight seventy something, I think. But I'm gonna answer your dog training questions at the end. So head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your dog training questions and I'll answer them next episode. Enjoy the podcast and I'll talk to you at the end. I've put you know, it's been about a year, year and three months. It's been a year and three months that I've had him. And I had another trainer come out about a year ago. I explained to them my biggest concern is that he's going to bite another dog. Sure. Makes sense. They they put a lot of effort into – I felt like they were trying to sell me on a lifestyle brand, and at no point did they ever acknowledge that my dog is at risk. He's a risk to himself and others, and that's what terrifies me is that if I'm not strong enough one time, he's going to put himself in a situation that I can't save him from. Okay. Do, do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't are you want saying, to see this. Do, do, I don't want to see this dog put down. There's been a lot of stress in just getting him in the car and then getting there. Okay. And his energy level not being at you know fifty thousand by the time we get there, either because we've passed by people and dogs, or just because something so the, that I don't understand quite understand that's stressing him out and when he's in the car. Okay, so the cap gets you, it just helps you get him calmer to the dog park. Yes. Okay, so yes. when you get to the dog park, then what had happened recently? So we get to the dog park, and we have to do, you know, we spend about five minutes in the parking lot just 
doing laps back and forth. You know, uh, we start walking. He starts trying to get ahead of me just because his energy is so high, and I turn around. You know, just mm-hmm. change direction, make sure he's he's paying attention, and then it's a slow advance uh, up the. So this dog park's not huge, but it's it's pretty nice. Uh, there's half the park is for kids and families, and then they have three sections in the back: small dogs, large dogs, large and small dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow the road up whenever we see a dog, uh, either we keep moving or if he starts stressing out, I'll change directions. I'll bring him to a sit and I'll give him a, a, a leave it command. Either one or all of those depends on, you know, how much he's like getting out of line. Right. Okay. So like if he's just looking away and suddenly He's walking faster, so he's walking faster than me and not staying at heel. I'll yeah. just give him a leave it, right? Yeah. But if he if he's trying to find the end of the leash, at that point I'm gonna change direction and tell him to sit. Okay. Takes us about fifteen minutes to actually get to the gates. We don't go in the gates yet. We're just going to walk the fence line. We start about mm, ten feet away from the fence line, just so he can see and smell all the dogs. Seems like it's going well once I've got things under control, right? We've, we're there for – we've been at the park for half an hour now. We've taken it slow up there, and we've gotten to the fence. We've gone up and down it a couple times, getting closer each time. I get right up to the fence and walk him along it. Someone's dog comes up. He immediately falls into – well, it looks like a play position. His tail is straight up. He's on his elbows and his hips. Uh, you know, he's, his hips are straight up, but he's he's low down. But he's not playing, right? He is attacking the fence and snapping through it. Mm-hmm. I give him the leave it. He seems to listen, but he can't get his eyes off the dog. So we just keep walking further. I give him another leave it. We finally get away. We sit. We take a break. Now, are you, in, are, you, or, are you inside the fence or are you in the outside? No. Okay, got it. Just I'm confirm. outside the fence, just walking the fence line. Okay, got it. But that's where we're going because we've been at the park for like 40 minutes now. I need to get him some water. So we go up to the fence to the – all dogs, because there was very, very few dogs compared to the other ones. Okay. The large dogs area, there was like 15 people with their doodles out. It was kind of crazy. And I wasn't going to take them in the small dogs box. Um, now, is so there a pr- the all dogs. Yeah, is there a particular reason you go to the dog park? I mean, is there is there a reason that you go there instead of just walking in your neighborhood? So I usually walk in my neighborhood, but I'm trying to get him socialized. Okay. I'm trying to do anything I can because it's it's very concerning to me that that he that even after all of this time and all the work we've put in, he still finds it extremely surprising uh, that other dogs are around barking. And what do it could you mean? be his age. What do you I mean? Could... What do you mean he finds it surprising? Do you think? Like, what do you mean by that? No matter how calm we are, mm-hmm. 
you know, and both of us are calm, right? He will hear something and it will be, okay, um, different story, but uh, down the block, there's uh, an area where there are one, two, three, four houses in a row that have dogs. Okay. Not all of them are always out at the same time, mm-hmm. but when the stars align, that's a very hard thing for Bear to get past. Sure. Because we've got, uh, we got a family of pit bulls, including a mama, and uh, great dogs, zero training whatsoever. These are just guard dogs. Then we have uh, a couple small dogs in the yard. Once they start barking, the pit bulls start barking. And there is a, um, I, 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 I think it's 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 either a Springer or or uh, something, a uh, 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 smaller Shepherd like Aussie Shepherd, something like that. Uh, yeah. He can jump the eight feet and peek over the wall. So now that we've gotten past those noises, now there's a dog whose head is bouncing up over the wall. Mm-hmm. We get past that corner, and now there's two giant Malamutes in the in the ballpark of like 130 pounds each, mm-hmm. who know their voice is intimidating to everyone else. So whenever anyone passes, they are right at the gate barking. This is a very very stressful situation for Bear, but even if none of those dogs are out, he's already hyped up two houses before that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, it sounds to me that he's just an anxious dog, and it doesn't matter how you are behaving as much because he's just going to be anxious. So it doesn't matter if you walk down the park and you see no dogs or you walk down the road and you see no dogs. He's still going to be anxious because that's who he is. So it sounds like I really to appreciate me. you saying that. Yeah. Well, it just it, to me, it's like uh, – and, and that's why I'm trying to, I'm trying to isolate and kind of – target what what you're struggling with the most because if you go if you go to the dog park you're at the public pool and you're expecting everyone to just be high you want to have a good hygiene and and not be in the pool and not do this and not do that and you can't do that that's not going to happen because you're at a public pool right so when you're at a dog park you're in a public pool and that's that's the way it goes so socializing in a dog park uh, can be it does have its benefits, but it's a very small sliver of benefits to a very small percentage of dogs who can get those benefits. And socialization, I think, for the majority of dog owners um, is is dog parks, and that's not really what proper socialization is for most dogs. That helps them be stable around other dogs. It's actually a very overwhelming experience that can make things dramatically worse. For that reason, so if you get it, let's let's for example, for Bear, you get you get a dog on a leash that's already a little nervy, already a little nervous. Um, you go to a dog park and then you get a bunch of doodles barking at you, whatever, whatever the case is. It doesn't matter what kind of dog it is or how many of them there are. Your dog is already on edge, and so it's not really a great place to build confidence and social socialization skills because it's not a polite place at all. It's very rude. It's not realistic. Um, basically if you're expecting your dog to be social at a dog park, then the only expectation is, is all off leash dogs 
are going to be your dog's friend because none of them are meeting you in a way that is proper. If you meet, if you, if your dog is out for a walk and there's an off leash dog approaching you, that is what you're teaching your dog to be okay with at a dog park if it goes well. And typically it doesn't. So that's what I'm saying is like, if you look at what you're talking about at the dog park and you're like, he's anxious there, but he's also anxious in the car. And he's also anxious walking around the neighborhood. So that, the, that, that I think the environments can exacerbate and cause the anxiety to heighten for sure. But it's it also just sounds that your dog's just anxious. So I wouldn't be bringing an anxious dog to these places because it's not a good place for dogs to to learn how to be around other dogs. My definition of socialization properly for, especially for dogs who you're trying to build confidence in is neutrality. It's like being at a coffee shop and every single person's got their headphones in, drinking their coffee, working. That is socialization. That doesn't overwhelm you. That doesn't make you nervous. That doesn't make you insecure. It doesn't make you uncomfortable. You're social with 20 other individuals sitting five feet from one another but you're not in each other's face. That's what a dog park is. It's like going to a nightclub in Miami at 2 a.m. in the morning, (laughs) expecting to have a lovely conversation with a nice person. Not that that can't happen. I'm just saying, when you put your dog into a dog park, it's like, it's very overwhelming and it's not good for dogs who are trying to gain confidence. So I have two dogs right now and my other dog, comically enough, uh, is totally fine with nightclubs. She is and she is a hero. She has been with me at every everywhere I've gone in my life mm-hmm. since since she's been with me. So I, I I really appreciate you putting it like that because I am expecting too much of him based on you know the chaos that was my life before he came along. Yeah, and I think I, just, I think you're not. I I I don't even think you're expecting too much. I think you're expecting the wrong things. I don't even think you're going like you're just you're not you're not being realistic, and and it's also just not fair for you or him. That's all. I just want to. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like okay, let's let's look at. So, what are your goals? So, dog parks is just not a good idea, anyway. So there's that. But then you're, you're kind of going on the other end of the spectrum too and saying like, well, if we go down our, our walk in our neighborhood, we have a pit bull family. We have Malamutes. We have Springers. We have this. I'm like, yeah, but like, don't, that's a gauntlet. Of course your dog's going to be anxious. Wouldn't you are too. That's not a very fun neighborhood to walk down when you have, uh, it's like one of those haunted house, like mystery houses where you never know what's going to pop out at you. And you're just walking around with your heart in your throat. That's what your dog is doing. So, yeah, that's not a good situation either. That's what I'm saying is you're trying to put a dog through scenarios that is very difficult for any human or any dog to be calm in. And then you're like, this is where he goes nuts. I'm like, yeah, I would avoid all of those things at all costs anyway. Then how do I do something good for him like take him camping because that's my goal well camping is much different well it's not if it's not if i can't even take him up you know the smallest mountain near here right there's a there's a 
it's not even a mountain, but they call it a mountain. And I, you know, there's enough dogs around there that it's it's very difficult to keep them under control and keep hiking. Okay. Is that going to just be something that's going to take time and effort that he's going to have to see that there are other dogs on the trail? Yeah, but that's a much, 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 much different picture. Like you think about this, you walking in a hiking trail with your dog and seeing one dog on your hiking trail at a time is a completely different scenario than going to a dog park and walking past your gauntlet of haunted houses in your neighborhood. Like those are two different scenarios. So you're trying to like go to the most unrealistic, unfair scenario to work on something that's not even going to be scalable at all. It's not going to be like, you're just going to make things worse doing that. See what I'm saying? So you're like, I'm going to go to the dog park to get my dog to be okay with other dogs, which is never going to happen. But the only reason why you're doing it from what you're telling me is so you can pass one dog on a hiking trail when you're camping. Those are like being in the middle of Montana in a cabin and then comparing all of your socialization to like, I don't want to go to Montana in a cabin because Manhattan nightclubs scare me. What? But to be completely fair, we still have to get in the car and drive from my house to a parking lot that looks identical to the park and go through an area that has a park attached to it Every one of the experiences that I'm I'm trying to work with him through is toward that goal of going further and further out together. Uh, I can't get through. Yeah. Well, I think that's a se- to get there. Yeah, I think that's a separate thing, and I would argue that that's not that's not the same at all. Like you getting okay. like the car, yes, sure. Like your dog, but again, your dog is, your dog is anxious in the car because your dog's an anxious dog. Your dog isn't anxious necessarily because of where you're going. So that's, that's a separate thing. But then you arriving to a trailhead to go into a campsite is the polar exact opposite of arriving to a dog park. They're not even comparable. They're not even in the same boat at all. It's absolutely comparable. Have you been camping in Nevada? Everyone brings their dogs out. Every car has a dog in it. Getting there is the exact same thing as being at the park because there's 15 dogs. He can look up and see four dogs ahead of him, four dogs behind him, and 10 dogs walking the circle around the path. Okay. So we'll talk about camping in Nevada then in those circumstances because I'm not I'm not familiar with, with that. And I didn't, I didn't think there were going to be 20 dogs at the trailhead, but let's talk about that. So when you get to the trailhead and you're loading up to go into the trail to set up camp, there's five dogs in front of you, five dogs behind you. How how do you typically handle these situations? Uh, warm-ups. We, you know, we stay in the parking lot. We just go back and forth. I change directions on him sometimes. I'll try and walk through him or I'll walk away if his attention is is elsewhere. It's very calm. I'm not giving commands. I'm just changing direction okay. and moving around and trying to set an example of ignoring everything that's around. And how, and how are you doing that? Praise is tough. Praise is tough. If I give him too energetic of praise, he reacts to it, right? So like the difference between good bear, good 
bear. And good bear, good bear is the difference between him staying in position and him going into an excited trot, looking for something. I don't know quite how to describe it. It's been sure, a while sure. since I've I've sure. over invested on the on the 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 support. Sure. He also hates treats. Like if we get somewhere and stop, he'll eat treats out of my hand. He loves it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm, but he hates. I, I, the best way I could describe it is he hates being bribed. Sure. Yeah. So I wouldn't do that then. So just anything that he hates, don't do. That's yeah. it. So when you're doing your tune-ups, uh, your warm-ups, what does that look like exactly? Uh. So. It depends where we are, but it's generally the same. It starts with just a straight line. I walk a straight line a certain distance. I turn around. It's it's an about face. I have a lot of military habits I can't get rid of. Um, it's an about face. We got walk the same direction. I about face the opposite way, so that he has to come the other way around me. Are you and saying any? Are you saying anything when you do these about faces and you turn? Only if he's not paying attention. Okay. What so, do you say? Like, au pied. Okay. Uh, it's French, au pied, uh, at heel. Yeah. Or at foot, really. But. So when you when you do your OPA and the dog turns towards you, what if what if he doesn't turn towards you? What happens at that granular moment there? So because we're doing the warm ups, I'm not actually popping the leash. I'm just letting the leash go tight. And he's wearing, he wears a um, he wears a Herm Springer. And he also wears a pager collar. Okay. Uh, I don't want to ever pop the Herm Springer. So if I need his attention, I can usually page him. But if he is, if he's up to 11, uh, no amount of paging is going to get his attention. And the best strategy I have found is just to keep the leash, leash loose. And if he pops off, he punishes himself with the Herm Springer. God, it sounds horrible saying that out loud. Please tell me I'm not a bad person. I don't think it. I don't. I don't think it uh, does as much as as you. Uh, it, 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 typically and historically, the Hermspringer doesn't do that at all. So that's what I'm trying to figure out what you're. Because typically, if you pop the Hermspringer, that's the only way it actually works with the dog in the correction. Um. So I'm just trying to figure out like what you're doing because that that. What I mean is, it pops when he jumps out of leash range okay. he pops himself with it is what i'm saying so i would i would recommend just popping the collar yourself before he does that so he can learn what you want him to do instead of being reactive you're being proactive so right now you're not giving you're not you're not enforcing anything when you say your heel command and you turn you're letting him figure that out which will create a lot of that it could create a lot of that insecure behavior when you get to a place because your warm-up and your tune-up is to do exactly that you're trying to get the dog's attention to make sure they pay attention to you and understand that you're taking this tune-up seriously and the dog has to be engaged with you and right now you're not doing that you're letting him kind of figure things out which in turn could make him a little bit more on edge unless you grab the wheel yeah, he's unsure. Yeah, because you're, you you know what I'm saying though, right? So when you get to a no, place, it makes sense, yeah. yeah. So so I would recommend giving him that pressure before he before he does it to himself, because you're trying to teach him to pay attention to you. The, the uh, typically the 
idea of a warm-up or a tune-up is to get the dog's attention and get them engaged with you no matter what the surrounding is. And on top of that, the overall goal is to get them super motivated. If they do do that, so then everything else turns to mush around them and they don't care. Sometimes dogs aren't aren't motivated and that's fine, but your, your goal is just to get the dog engaged with you. So they get out. They're like a kid at Disneyland. They're excited. They're running around. They're stimulated. Your job is to say, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And if you're not holding the dog accountable for your directional changes, then you're defeating the purpose because they're just hitting the end of the leash and trying to figure things out on their own. And that's where you'll get to a location and say, I don't really know what to do. And neither do you. From what I'm So hearing. once we're out, so I really appreciate that. And I'm definitely going to switch things up, but I did want to ask a question because I do page like even if he's right at my side, I'm using that pager mm-hmm. just to communicate with him and to accent my voice. So once we're done with the warm-ups, we've done two or three laps from my backyard to my driveway and back, and with occasional, you know, uh, horizontal or diagonal changes in direction. Once we're out on the walk, I'm communicate. Should I? So what you're saying is I should set the line right at the beginning. Say. I need your attention. And then I can ease off as the walk continues. I, I, I guess. I, I'm not sure. Well, I think you just have to look at what you're trying to do. I mean, like I said before, if you get to a trailhead and you're doing a warm-up, in my experience, the only reason why you would ever do a warm-up is to get the dog engaged with you to get the dogs yeah. to pay attention. And right now you're not, you're not succeeding that because he's hitting the end of the leash. If the dog is yeah. hitting the end of the leash, he's not engaged with you. Yeah. So, so then that's, you've never, so that's what I'm saying is if you're doing something, but you're doing it the wrong way, you've never done it. So you've never done that warm up in that parking lot that actually makes sense to the dog to get the dog engaged with you. And so think about the amount of times that you're like, I'm going to go to this park and get the dog engaged and get the dog tuned up with me, but you actually have never done it. And that will make a big difference when you do go there and you start to actually, you know, get the dog engaged with you and paying attention to you and ignore other things around them. And then, and then as far as the page goes, uh, I'm unfamiliar with what collar are you using? Or um, is it just like an off brand? What's that? No, it's 20 years. 20 years. Okay. Which, which, which one? 280C. Okay. Okay. So the pager uh, on the 280C is pretty intense. So um, I typically never use it in a punitive way unless the dog is, you know, dangerously reacting. So that's again, where a lot of anxiety could come from is just using the pager um, in, in in a punitive way to communicate can be stressful for a dog because it's pretty intense. So you just have to be careful how you do that. I have other means of communication too. It's not like, I feel like I'm giving you a terrible impression of how I do this because once we're out on the walk, I I tend to mix things up. I will bump his knee with my shoulder. I will bump his haunch with my heel. I, I have a lot of tools available to me that are just kind of instinct at this point. Mm Mm-hmm getting him to the point where he would listen was difficult and he does not listen to the page when he's above a certain level. Sure. So, so I understand what you're saying and it, 
it makes sense and I can I can lean off of it more uh, make it much rarer so that's right because that's what it that's what I was saying is it sounded you said that you would randomly use it on your heels and your walks and stuff and if you're using it that much then it's never going to mean anything to them so I'm I was just under the impression that if I was give, using it with a command that I was using it correctly no I never use the pager in a conditioning way because it's so intense. I always use the stimulation. So I use the stimulation levels um, to condition a dog on the remote collar because it's not a punitive corrective thing. And if you're using the pager, that's a very intense thing. And that's, that's what I'm like when I heard you say that you were using the pager to change directions and randomly use it, 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 it can be very confusing for the dog, which of course can then, heighten the anxiety of the dog. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I'm just trying to take a minute to realize that I'm an asshole. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, you're, just, you're just trying to figure things out, and that's my job is to help navigate you through this scenario. And that's why I'm, like when you say stuff, I'm also just trying to get granule because there's little tiny things. You know, if you watch my videos with clients there's like little tiny things that people will do and i'm like bingo that's that is a big contributing factor to x and so that's why when you were saying that you were using the pager for just like attention getting when you're in a heel and it's not really like moved in a certain direction or whatever that can make a dog anxious because that that pager is very intense that's something that i use to disarm and unpack unwanted dangerous behaviors and in intervention training. I don't use it other than that. So you just have to be careful um, how you use that because there, there's just a lot of things that could happen if you, you use that in, in a way that the dog doesn't make sense of it. And one of those reasons or one of those ways is just, I mean, Worst or best case scenario is the dog will never listen to the e-collar because you use the pager so often and then they just write it off because they're like, yeah, whatever. This thing is on all the time and it sucks and I'm just, I don't know what it is. He he doesn't treat it like that. I, well, that's good. So uh, thankfully, I'm apparently not using it to the point where it's, where it's that bad, but... Let's say let's say we're going. Uh, this is Las Vegas. Every block is half a mile long here. Mm -hmm. uh, let's so let's say we're going on a walk. That's a two mile walk that we're setting out on, right? Around a mile and a half, he's exhausted. His attention is worn out. His behavior is fine. I don't really have to use use it, but if he, let's say a car drives by and they've got two dogs in the back and the dogs are barking, mm -hmm. right? He might jump out at that moment, even though everything in his body language is telling me he's calm. There's that immediate turnover mm -hmm. that 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 reserve tank has been opened up, and he is ready to outburst. Mm -hmm. Now it's not as bad as it used to be. He's much more likely to tie me up than he is to jump into traffic, which it is what it is. It's better than nothing, at least from where I'm standing. But it, it, you know, it's it's still. I don't know what I'm missing in the community in, in in that. Yeah, well, there could be a couple different things, but 
that's what I was saying is uh, honestly, if you're, so if you're using equipment wrong or you're using it in a way that doesn't make sense or confusing, you may not be missing anything. You're just lacking the ability to communicate because you're doing it wrong. So if you're, like I said before, like if you're using, you're the boil cried wolf, if you will, if you're using things that are supposed to shut behaviors down all the time at random, and then you want to try to shut down a behavior that you don't want to see anymore because it's scary or dangerous, those things that you're using aren't going to work. And so it's not necessarily what you're doing wrong or the timing of what you're doing. It's just because there's so much uh, diluted information going into the relationship that it's hard to reward. It's hard to punish. It's hard to communicate because it's confusing. So that's what I'm that's what I'm leaning more towards is the way that you're handling other situations is probably compound. It's just like all of my other clients that come in with behavioral issues, but they don't have basic obedience. It's if you're trying to correct a dog for something that's really bothersome or dangerous to you, but you're using the the same correction tool randomly, then it's not going to be enforced at all. It's not going to matter. And the dog's not going to care about it. I'm not saying that's the reason why your dog is reacting. I'm just saying those are things that you have to hash out first. No, you're, you're right. And I'm just. <sighs> so when you're so, so yeah. So like I said, if like, let's say you go out for a walk or a tune up and you're doing some obedience with the dog and you're going heel, brr, heel, brr, sit, brr, and you're. No, that's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm doing. Okay. So, so how are you? These warmups, these warmups start really slow. There's no words. And then I start adding in the vocal commands if he's getting distracted. And if he's not listening at all, then I will page him. But I'm trying – usually in these warm-ups, what I'm trying to do is say as little as possible. Mm-hmm. And yes, hope that he realizes what I want. You're, you're, you're loud and clear on that part. I'm, I'm giving him too much – I'm giving him too much mental leash at that moment is the best way I think I can describe it. I'm saying, hey, figure this out when I haven't made clear what exactly should be done. So he's guessing, and sometimes he gets it right, but I'm not communicating well enough in any regard at that point for him to realize exactly what it is I need him to do at that moment. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and and then also, too, like if you're using – I think – my biggest highlight here is like if you're also using the punishment system at random and then you try to use the punishment system very isolated towards punishing a behavior it's it's going to be diluted and that is i think the uh, an even bigger issue cuz i remember you were saying that you'll use the page when you're out just working with him for fun but then if you're throwing the pager over a correction, it's not going to mean anything because the dog has felt that correction so much. And then when you actually try to use it, of course, it's not going to mean anything. Does that make sense? It does, but it doesn't. I'm trying to work it out in my head. So I understand the dilution of the the dilution of it, which is which is why I, you know, have such a mix of means to communicate with him. Mm-hmm. You know, 
in the back of my mind, I've recognized that he he doesn't understand what's going on. He gets you know he just gives up on trying to figure out what that means. So I've I've yes. mixed it up. I've spaced things out more. I'm not so immediately demanding. I put a lot of effort into addressing the very thing you're you're trying to bring up. But I. I so what are you having a hard I time? I understand the I understand the not. You know, what I don't understand is the do. That's what's not clear for me yet. And what, so, yeah. So we're walking down the sidewalk, right? Yeah. We're about two blocks away from the gauntlet, right? We're in the middle of the street. He is in, you know, what I would consider a comfortable distance for him because he's been much closer, you know, and done it successfully if with a little stress or a lot depending on the day. But we're still two blocks away. He starts getting on his toes. Like, he's been paying attention. Actually, you know what? I'm going to back up. Okay. He he has a lot of trouble looking at me outside. So, backyard, that's fine. Driveway, that's fine. Uh, In front of the neighbor's house, uh, yeah, that's pretty much fine, so long as the cat doesn't try anything stupid. But once we actually get out into the world, as it were, mm-hmm. he is he finds it very difficult to even keep me in his periphery. And uh, we've worked on uh, we've worked on Regal to some success, but I can't get him to, he, he, I could never get him to look at me while we're walking. So while his behavior may imply to me, that he's being attentive, he might not be attentive at all and might just be half-assing it. So I, I just wanted to retract what I previously said. Okay, in what regard? So when you when you were saying that you were getting two blocks or whatever up to the gauntlet, what are you what are you taking out from that? What are you saying that's different? No, what I'm asking is, um, so I get there. Yes. He starts pulling ahead because his attention is already elsewhere. Uh-huh. When do I give him the correction and how? Yeah, it's a good question. How would you recommend I give that correction? Two th- couple things. So context is important. So making sure that, first of all, the dog knows what they're doing is wrong. So if you just correct him. So the only time that I will punish a dog in particular, especially in behavior mod, is when they're doing something dangerous. Or they're doing something like outrageously inappropriate. So if I have a dog jumping all over me trying to pull my hair out, you know, then I'll correct the dog. But I guess my point is, is you have to be very clear and fair to the dog that when they're pulling in front of you that they know what they're doing is wrong. So oftentimes my clients who are working, this is, this is textbook, textbook, like exactly what we deal with every day is a dog does something like what you're saying. Okay, my dog is out in front of me and pulling because there's a distraction. Boom. And it could be recall. It could be whatever. The question that I would have, more importantly, especially if we were working with this in person, is as your dog is pulling in front of you because there's a natural distraction, other dogs or other sense of dogs, other sounds of dogs, my question would be, 
yeah, you could correct the dog pulling, but after you correct the dog pulling, how are they going to know the right thing to do? And the, the answer is usually some sort of a behavior. So the dog has to know what heel is or what walk nicely is. And then it goes down to another tier of if you said, so it kind of goes off these little investigative branches. If you said, if I asked you, okay, your dog is pulling towards another dog, which you don't like, which then ultimately turns into this reactivity. And the reactivity is why we're talking, right? So there's the problem. I say, okay, your dog is reactive, but leading up to the reactivity, what has to happen before your dog reacts? Your dog will pull. Okay. So let's, if we can stop the pulling, we can stop the reactivity in theory. And typically that is the case. Then I would say, how good is your heel? And if you said, so, so how good is your heel? Do you think? I'd give it a C plus. Okay. So depending on the environment, he'll stay there, but we're talking about a range of he's at heel in quotes with drifting forward and not noticing he's left my side, but he will eventually, you know, look at something and catch how far forward he is and back up without me saying anything. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's where we are on the RPA. But once there's a distraction that he can't shake, uh, that's the that's the difference for me. That's when he's out of line. Right. So the next question I would have in that little, again, investigative journey that I have with dog owners is that is the difference between uh, your obedience levels. So oftentimes dog owners have behavioral problems because of the lack of their communication and their obedience. So if you have a dog that has a problem and you say like what you're, it's exactly what you're dealing with to some degree is you come out and you say, my dog's heel is okay. And my dog's heel is not great when there's distractions. And all that is, is obedience levels. So that's like saying, how good is your, your kids, uh, baseball hitting, right? How good can your kid hit the ball? Like, Oh, my kid can hit a home run every single pitch, no matter what. It's like, okay, great. Let's put him into the game. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. He can't hit the ball during the game. Like, okay, so then he can't hit. Then what's the point of hitting, right? You can, if you can't apply it to what matters, then it's pretty much useless. But that's what you're dealing with is if your dog will only listen or understand what to do under certain circumstances, then it's not going to be applicable to reality, which is totally fine. Although you just have to understand and realize and kind of audit that that's the reason why you're having some issues outside is your different obedience levels. Cause it's not fair to correct a dog or punish a dog for doing something that they're not set up to understand how to do. Which essentially means your dog's obedience isn't good enough to handle that environment, which is why your dog isn't listening. So I couldn't, I couldn't come in and say, you couldn't say, look, this is crazy. Look, this is what's happening. This is the problem. This is the big thing. This is it right here. Look, this is it. Like the reaction, look at the spinning and the barking and on the back legs and the howling and the redirection. All this stuff is crazy. This is the problem, Tom. You don't understand. This is why I'm like, look, I get it. That's the problem. But you have like, what do you want? What do you want us to do? It's like, well, we want to stop it. It's like, yeah, but it's like everyone else who wants to have a 12 pack abs. I'm like, but you don't want to 
you know, you got to have the work. The work has to be done. So it's the same thing with dog training a bit. Is if you, unless we're talking about a neurological like case, when you have a dog that is exhibiting these behaviors, but you don't have anything alternative, what do you want the dog to do? Well, I want him to just not care about dogs. I'm like, okay, well, you got to have some control in between that. Just last thing, since we've only got eight minutes left. Mm-hmm. When we were at the dog park and I took him to try and get some water, uh, two dogs ran at us. They were being teasing and they were running around uh, a light pole just past us. Bear lunged out and snapped at one. He didn't make contact, but we had to check the other dog anyways because we couldn't. no one could see what actually happened. Clearly. There's a certain line that once it's crossed, he's, he, he doesn't listen to absolutely anything and it becomes much more of a get him off and redirect. Sure. So when that happened, trying to get him some water, he was still on leash and you're absolutely you're absolutely right. I just wanted to to bring that point up because what is the, the first trainer who's actually who's actually given me information that's of value to me. Well, I'm happy to do that. You know, what can you can you can you specify like at that moment like where what do you mean by like like what 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 was the big problem there? Because like what what is the what's the problem in that? This is how once we're within, uh, you know, snapping range of any dog, he will snap. And I, like, I've seen him flip other dogs to sniff them with the ferocity of a a giant nose. I've never seen him break skin. He's not labeled a dangerous dog, and he's never accomplished it. But I'm terrified. Because if that's because I'm not doing something right, I need to know. Right. But I'm, yeah, I understand. Uh, It's a great goal to have as a dog owner, but I'm trying to figure out like what you, like you have to get, like for me, I have to know what you're talking about, like an example. So when you were just saying, like in that situation where you were going to get water at the dog park with the dog and another dog came running up. I'm just trying to figure out what the big problem was in that in that scenario that you were you would have liked to had done differently. I don't know that I could have done 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 anything differently in that moment. I just don't understand enough about what's turning over in that last in that last two feet of space. In the last two feet of space is the dog getting to your dog. Yes. Uh, or getting close enough to your dog. Let me – yes. So when that when that dog got into Bear's bubble, Bear immediately turned over. He snapped. He was pulling against the Hermspringer and didn't care. He did not respond to the page. And I just had to keep a hard grip and use as much body strength as possible to move him around and once his eyesight was off the dog and he had, and he 
couldn't immediately snap back to looking, I gave him a sit command and he listened. Mm -hmm. So to me, what that sound, this is how I'm hearing that is I have a dog that doesn't necessarily like other dogs and has anxiety. And I went to a dog park and another off leash dog at the dog park, which is why they're there came running up abruptly to us and at the very last moment before the dog got close, my dog didn't listen to me. And not only did the dog not listen to me, but you didn't engage the prong collar in the way that it's supposed to work. So we didn't use the prong collar properly and all hell broke loose. So to me, I'm like, yeah, and? Like that's exactly what should have happened. There's not, that, that's, my, that's what I'm, it's kind of like a setup question to be honest. I'm just trying to like make it really clear to you that those are all situations that you could hire God himself to come down and be like, Hey, can you train this? They'd be like, well, why, why? No, <laughs> there's nothing you can do here. You know what I mean? Like you get, you get an insecure, anxious dog that doesn't really care for other dogs. And then you get an off leash dog to bum rush you guys. W what did you want to happen? Do you know what I mean? I don't know what I wanted to happen, but <sighs> You being a perfect trainer probably have never experienced this, but being shamed by a group of people for having a dog defend itself, being told that that dog should be put down, really does a number on the mind. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So sure. I appreciate very deeply that you would be honest with me in this moment about that because no one else has been. All that has been said to me, all that has been done, all that has been implied is that I am an awful person because my dog did this. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. This is this is what I'm saying is like I'm trying to I'm trying to advocate for you and your dog at the same time without hurting your feelings. <laughs> so I just want you not that you would care. I know you don't. But what I'm trying to say is is like to me, I just this is a perfect scenario of like one plus one equals two, Tom. Why? And I'm like, because that's what it equals. You know what I mean? That's what I'm seeing and hearing. And so to me, the, the glass half full here, the way to look at this is you just have to advocate. I, under, I understand the socialization idea, which we talked about in the beginning, which we'll go through here in a minute. But I just want you to understand that at no point in time in the situation that you put your dog in, could have that gone any other way under any circumstances, regardless of how good you are, or how good your training is, right? So just things that you have to learn from in, in the future is just say like, look, you want to socialize your dog and I'm going to go over some ways that you can potentially do that if, you know, applicable, you know, depending on where you live. But the reality is, is you have to advocate for your dog and just say, look, my like, okay, my dog, Lakota, she's trained like obviously awfully she understands three different languages she's really obedient she can enter competitive level stuff and compete even though she's not a competitive dog right she listens well she's a good trained dog i would never in a million years you couldn't pay me enough money to bring my dog to a dog park you couldn't pay me enough money at all now that doesn't mean the dog park is bad for everybody but in my experience as a professional dog parks are public pools. And it's not a matter of if something happens, unfortunately, it's typically a matter of when. Now, 
there's places that Manhattan and places like that where you have no other choice, but those dogs are typically there. That's what they have. That's what they have to do. But I just want to say that bringing an insecure dog into a dog park to try to be socialized is a very logical thing to do from a pet owner's perspective, only because socialization to a lot of pet owners isn't clear on what it should look like, which I'm going to go over. But everything that happened to you and your dog is totally normal and totally warranted. You could That's what I'm trying to say is like, you just said one plus one equals two. And I'm like, yeah, of course it does. But the way that other people reacted, again, because I have empathy for both ends of the spectrum, I would be kind of mad if somebody brought in a dog that is like that to a dog park when all the other dogs are playing. I get it. But at the same time, like, you know, they have no control over their dogs either. So they couldn't have done anything anyway. It's not like I just had a client come in from New Jersey that did an out-of-state program with me and their dog is reactive and they couldn't get their dog to react. The dog was muzzle trained. We spent two days. They spent a lot of money, a lot of time into training with me. And I'm like, you know what? Why don't you guys go to the park down the road and see if you can get something in a different environment? Now the dog's muzzled, so it's not dangerous or anything. So they went to the park and these off-leash dogs, and it wasn't a dog park. It was a park that means your dog has to be on leash. And I think that there's a sign that says, if your dog is off leash, you have to have control. Kind of like, hey, the speed limit's 65, <laughs> right? Who, you know, not many people are going to do that, but I get it. Anyway, these doodles came running up to them. And they said, my dog's not friendly. Please call your dog. My dog's not friendly. And they just kept talking about, they were talking about lotions at Beth, Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever. They literally weren't paying attention. And so their dog came running up and then the dog muzzle punched the dog in the nose. The dog tail tucked and ran away. And then the ladies were like, oh my God. And they were like, dude, I just told like, so there's not much you can do about other people. And to be honest with you, the more you train with your dog, and the more you educate yourself about dog behavior, proper socialization, education on dog behavior, the way less more you'll go to public places with your dog. And I know that that's not fair, but it almost seems like the more trained your dog is, and this is for me personally, I've, I, I deal with this every day. The more trained your dog is, the less places you can actually go. Because all the other dogs who aren't listening and all the other dogs who are rude and all the other owners who don't have any control or respect don't care. And then that makes you look bad because all you're trying to do, like if I brought my dog to a off leash park and a dog came running up, my dog would not be happy at all. And she'll probably correct that dog if I didn't get the dog away. That's not my fault. That's not my dog's fault. But it's also something that I wouldn't bring, I wouldn't, my point is, is you shouldn't be putting your dog into those situations anyway, because it's not a good place for them to learn. And it's also an environment that they will likely fail in. I guess that means LT is just doubly special. Well, it just means you have to, like, I want to just go over socialization too. Like, like I was saying yeah. in the beginning, socialization for, for most dogs is walking by another dog. And that, so, so here, so here's a perfect example. You, you, and this is for all dog owners. So don't feel bad about what's going on because this is something that my clients deal with all over the world. You walking 
pass the gauntlet of the pit bulls jumping and the the huskies or whatever the malamutes jumping whatever like that is not good socialization like that's not going to benefit you it's not going to benefit your dog it's not it's not a real place to grow it's not a realistic place to well i guess it is realistic but it's not real place for a dog that's insecure to learn so again like if I had a, so if I had a neighborhood where I had those dogs in that walk, I wouldn't go down that way. And I understand you're like, well, that's bullshit because it's my, you know, it's my neighborhood. I I should be able to walk. And I've had those conversations, you know, I've been an animal, I've been a dog control officer. It's like, what were you going to say? I was going to say there is no other way. Yeah. That's I, I, so, so I, I have maps in my head of every path I can take out of my neighborhood and the best one that I have, the one that I use the most is actually through the shopping center. And I go out through the shopping center and I go down the street and there's a church down there. It's about a two block walk. takes us a total of, I guess, three miles. And that is the most uh, away from wild dogs that we can get with the exception of sometimes you get dogs in cars because I live right next to a, um, what are they called? A puppy camp. Mm-hmm. The, the, the place you, pe- like daycare? place rich people drop their dog, dogs. Off. Yeah. Daycare. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I, so, I, you know, yeah, I totally get it. I would just recommend yeah. like you can do it, but your foundation has to be really good. So I, I, yeah. I have a course the, um, well, th- there's a couple things So I just put out, uh, so there's, I have a e-collar course. Uh, and if that's not something that you're interested in or you don't want to, um, or whatever, I have a, I basically just put out a free tutorial on how to introduce the remote collar, which we talk about the stimulation and we talk about the, um, the vibrate and all that stuff. I have that for free on my YouTube as well. And my suggestion is to kind of like revisit that. But, um, also I just think that your obedience needs to, I think you should just like work on your obedience a little bit too, to kind of work on these things. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of things that you can do, but ultimately, uh, nothing of what you've done. And like, again, hey, Tom, I brought my anxious dog that doesn't really like other dogs to um, a dog infested area and it wasn't a good experience. And now I feel bad. The only, all of that makes sense. The only thing that you just need to do differently is just say, look, I'm not going to bring my dog to those environments anymore because it's not fair to the dog, your dog. And, um, now you just have to go out and get into training environments that are beneficial for you guys. And that I really appreciate you yeah, taking yeah. this time. I really do. Yeah. No because... problem. Do you have any other last minute questions before I have to jump off here? No. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, You're welcome. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send you two videos about the e-collar and the prong collar on my YouTube channel. So they're absolutely for free that I want you to check out and it'll kind of give you a refresher on things. And I think that would be helpful. All right. Does that sound good? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, best of luck to you and I appreciate you and I'll send you an email follow up. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Good luck. Bye-bye. All right, you guys, first question comes from Ardell Marie. 
will Presley ever fully trust? Five-star review. Hey, Tom, thanks for this podcast. I have listened to your podcast and used many of your techniques to help our progress. Our one-year-old American bully boxer mix has been has had trust issues with my husband since he adopted him in June of 2020. We were told that he doesn't trust men after 10 months. Uh, it isn't all just men, just a select few. Presley and Keel's relationship has definitely improved, but we still have random incidences where Presley will growl. Presley will take multiple treats from Keel, and after a few, he'll back up and growl at a pace. So Keel, I'm assuming, is your husband. Uh, so just to give context to the listeners, um, Presley will take treats from Keel and then growl. Presley will cuddle with Keel, and after a while, he'll stiffen up and growl. We were told that this is a guardian thing towards me. So I try to leave the room, and Presley is on his best behavior, and Keel to let the bond trust. Presley has lunged at Keel. While Guardian has bitten Keel twice. Once guarding me after a day after my surgery and once when we had people over and he was stressed out, Presley loves to walk with Keel and we'll walk to him. Um, so I can see how badly Keel wants Presley to trust him. We will take additional advice. My advice to you is when you're dealing with these types of random stiffness, reactivity stuff, it sure it could be, and again, I'd have to really dive into it for a couple of days to see it, but I'll just give you the off the top. I would just say that it's probably more of the dog um, just having, again, like you said, like a like a really distaste towards men because of previous encounters or abuse or neglect or whatever. Who knows? Um, but these things happen, unfortunately. And so I would say that the most important thing is is just have Keel really focus on the things that helps the dog's relationship. So um, it's just a hard thing to do, but unfortunately Keel, you know, isn't going to have that lovey-dovey relationship maybe that you do with this dog. And I think that it's uh, really important to not push those boundaries because the dog is telling you very clearly what is appropriate for them and what isn't. So my suggestion is simple. I would just have Keel do all the things that this Presley dog loves with Keel walking, playing outside. Um, obviously this dog has a problem with, um, being overwhelmed. So I would highly suggest, uh, in situations where you're going to have people over or friends or family over, you really need to make sure that the dog is in a safe place and is not going to be, um, subject to, you know, all these people. And I mean, those are all things that are going to cause, you know, damage and the dog to tip over. So just be very cautious and mindful, um, when talking about or working with, um, um, Keel or I'm sorry, Presley in these environments, cause it is going to spark things. So you just have to be really mindful of where Presley gets nervous and, uh, what he does, uh, in, in these environments and, uh, just keep taking their, t- just like Keel's job is with Presley, these things, and that's where he's comfortable. And that's where you should just stay in that lane for a while and keep doing it. And that's my suggestion. I think that that's important to just double down on the things that are great and successful and just try to work around the things that aren't. And you don't want to put Keel in a situation where he's going to get bit because the relationship is going to suffer from that long term um, if that keeps happening. So I would suggest just not putting them in that situation um, and just double stacking, double stacking on the things that they enjoy because you could build a relationship safely with a dog that um, is only particularly comfortable under these circumstances. And that's what you should double down on. Cause it doesn't sound to me like it's a, it's anything other than maybe like, again, like trauma from the past and you just have to, you know, work on these things, um, you know, at the dog's pace. So I hope that helps. Uh, next, next, uh, question comes from adolescent shenanigans, five-star review. Thank you so much. Love the podcast. I learned so much from here. You troubleshoot through different scenarios. Something that really resonated with me and your analogy of reactivity is like boiling pot of water where it spills over at a certain point. I've gotten to the point where I can walk my frustrated, 
walk my frustrated greeter past multiple dogs without a reaction. However, after a certain number of dogs, I can sense that he's about to boil over. How do you typically like bringing dogs back down? Obedience, tugs, time to sniff, all those things. Obedience to redirect. That's why you guys have been seeing me like real, like my big fundamental thing is pushing a dog away from a scenario that they're going to instinctually boil over on. Like if I know a dog is like hitting their threshold, just like people do, there's just that one thing at the end of the day that just pushes them over. Like you have to make sure that you're moving the dogs away from those scenarios so they don't boil over. So yeah, tug, obedience, uh, scatter feeding is really great. So if the dog is food, food motivated, you can take that food, scatter feed it on the ground and have them really just go into other scenarios. Um, so I hope that that helps. And yeah, I appreciate your listening. Uh, next one comes from Mo P10. Five-star review, special case. Hi, Tom. I'm not sure where to turn this. I'm not sure where to turn in this type of situation. I'm considering signing up to do a chat with you because there's no other valuable trainers in my area. I'm wondering if you've ever worked with a dog that has little white dog syndrome and currently on Kep- Kepra and Pr- prednisone on top of these health, which is medicine on top of these health issues. My dog was also attacked by another dog. My dog is anxious, fearful around other dogs and doesn't know sometimes how to greet people. Uh, I try to do things with him daily, build our relationship and his confidence, but it seems like an uphill battle. I make him place on big rocks and reward him when he looks at me and we work on heel around other dogs inside the dog park. He will just, he just turned around a year old and I don't want him to be in the state of mind. Um, so he's a year. I was just hoping you could provide some quality advice if you have an experience with stressful, complicated situations. Well, I don't know what little white dog syndrome is, but I do have a laptop in front of me. Little white dog shaker syndrome. I've never heard of that. Let me look at this. Shaker syndrome is a condition involving generalized head and body tremors in dogs. I don't know. Um, I'm going to be honest. I don't know what this is because I'm getting tremors. Neurological disorder and voluntary tremors are shaking. Um, okay, so I, I would just say, like, I'll give you advice. I don't know what that is, to be honest, and I don't want to waste your time and if it's wrong. Uh, my dog is anxious or fearful around other dogs because he's been attacked. So um, this podcast is going to be absolutely right up your alley about how you should generally socialize your dogs like getting into areas where you have other like a group class is perfect getting into a group class at a training facility is great to build confidence in dogs who uh, need confidence because it's structured um, the dogs are going to be safe um, there's a trainer involved there's a you know class leader so those are the things I would be trying to shoot for and then just generally like don't going not going to places with off-leash dogs like we talked about excuse me in this video so those are all the things that I would uh, recommend for building that confidence uh, and then just taking all the advice again that we talked about in this in this podcast uh, in particular as well. Um, so that's my suggestion uh, to build confidence realistically is to just get out into situations and get out to scenarios that um, are going to be helpful um, for your dog that doesn't push them over the boundaries like we talked about in this podcast. Um, so going out to public places like downtown um, and just being around other dogs and just soaking, sitting at, a, sitting at a park bench, letting dogs pass, rewarding the dog, spending an hour there and things like that. That's my recommendation. So I hope that that helps. And I appreciate you guys so much for listening. And we're going to talk to you guys on Wednesday because we're back on the grind. So let's guys, let's try to get to a thousand reviews. Um, that would be amazing. So go review the podcast on iTunes. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, do the same thing. Again, number one dog training podcast in the United States. Love you guys so much. I'll talk to you Wednesday. Bye.
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 